All right, everybody, welcome to Beyond the Shadows. I'm author and researcher Mike Ricksecker. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the simulated universe. Yeah, what if the universe is really the matrix? I've talked a little bit about this before on past shows. Been a while since I've talked on this subject. It is something I do talk about in A Walk in the Shadows, a complete guide to shadow people. So we're going to talk about it a bit here. Before we do that, real quick, though, I want to throw this out there. This episode of Beyond the Shadows brought to you by 100 Road Roast. It helps you hunt ghosts. It's for our buddy Tim, who, uh, well, Tim, who passed away a few weeks ago. We always put that out there for him anyway, and we'll continue to do so, of course. So, all right. So, simulated universe. Yeah, Sarah, uh, red pill versus blue pill. I mean, that's, you know, kind of the premise of what. Uh, the Matrix movie was was all about you know living in a computer simulation, and there's a an article that came out here just recently that kind of uh, I'll say it kind of sparked me a little bit here, and it was a New York Times op-ed piece by Preston Green, who's you know been doing research in this area and uh, has a uh, a piece that he's putting together. But one of the quotes from this is, if our universe has been created by an advanced civilization for research purposes, then it is reasonable to assume that it is crucial to the researchers that we don't find out that we're in a simulation. If we were to prove that we live inside a simulation, this could cause our creators to terminate the simulation, to destroy our world. So in other words, uh, if those that put the simulation together, if you're thinking the, the matrix... Uh, like the machines, if the machines found out that uh, we knew we were in a computer simulation, then they would terminate the whole thing and our uh, world around us would be destroyed. I guess we would go back to, you know, the the home world or what I call the home world uh, where we go to once we're done living our lives here. And I, I find this really perplexing. Uh, I, I actually wholeheartedly disagree with it. Because, well, for, for a number of reasons, but primarily because uh, the creator or creators of the universe already know that we believe it's a simulation. And what I mean is that I, I, I think this particular writer, and I, uh, I'm sure he's done some great work, I think he's very narrow-focused. Um, you know, for, for one, I don't believe it's just a straight computer simulation as as we know computers today and i think we kind of get boxed into our with our thinking that you know our latest and greatest technology is kind of the uh, epitome of of the universe that um you know we have computers they're always going to be computers and they'll be very similar to what we have today uh which is which is very untrue. You know, people laughed at uh, Nikola Tesla a hundred years ago when he talked about having a uh, device that would actually fit in your pocket that would have the knowledge of the world, you know, stored within it. And of course, people laughed at him. Well, you know, now now we have things like this: the the cell phone, which basically you have access to the knowledge of the world on this little device, and it does fit in your pocket. So he wasn't wrong, just people couldn't conceive that type of technology back then. So think 100 years from now, especially with the way our technology is, is advancing. So you know, our idea that uh, you know, some computer you know, is actually running the show, uh, I think it's more uh, maybe on a molecular level, biological level, something organic rather than a physical computer. Of course, I do believe that we are in some sort of simulation, uh, and we we know this. You know, his uh, premise here that if uh, you know, basically he's trying to ward people off of researching this idea and getting deeper into the idea that we are in a computer simulation, on the premise that once the creators are on to us that we're we're trying to discover this and we actually prove it, then they'll terminate the thing, except for the fact that most of our major world religions already preach that we are 
living in a simulation without using the word simulation. You know, their description of what we're doing here in the world is essentially what a simulation is. Um, you know, when you enter a simulation, you know, generally it's to, you know, interact with an environment. Normally you're trying to learn something or achieve something. Think of like any, you know, online, you know, uh, online multiplayer game that you dive into like a, a massively multiplayer online game you go down into a 3d world and you're walking around you know as a character avatar and you're interacting with that world in whatever the setting is whether it's you know sci-fi they used to have the matrix online which was like perfect for you know that type of game uh you know you could it could be like red dead online which is a western you know uh the sims of course is one that people always uh think of so you know basically that sort of of thing and you learn something you interact with the with the environment and then once you're done okay you know hopefully you've learned something and you know you can re-enter it again and play it again that's essentially what our religions are telling us we come down here we learn a lesson hopefully we've learned that lesson and you know we pass on and of course you know some religions teach reincarnation we come back if we didn't learn our lesson and uh, I, I'm going to give a couple of examples here. And I actually do mention a couple of these examples here in A Walk in the Shadows. These are a couple of quotes from Greg Braden. He does a, uh, he has a series on Gaia called Missing Links. And in season, I think it's season two, uh, he gets into this idea of living in a matrix. And so... Uh, he, he tells us here that the Sanskrit word maya actually means illusion. This is a fundamental concept in the Hindu tradition. They tell us that it is under the illusion, under maya's influence, that the soul identifies with the body to the point where we cannot tell ourselves as separate from the illusion of this physical world. Under maya's influence, we get lost in the body's expressions of ego and fear, sex, race, the color of our skin, our belief systems under the illusion of maya. In those same traditions, or in those same traditions, the idea of enlightenment means to escape the Maya, to escape the illusion. Christian traditions tell us something very, very similar. They tell us almost universally the world is temporary, that it is an illusion, not to get stuck here, that we're here only briefly, that we are preparing. They actually say we're preparing ourselves to live in another world. This parallels the ideas of a simulation almost to a T. And that's very, very true. Uh, you know, I, I grew up Catholic and I spent uh, a good chunk of my uh, adulthood in uh, a couple of different Christian churches. And yeah, that's what they teach you. You are preparing in this world, in this simulation. Of course, again, they don't use the word simulation, but we're preparing in this world for the world that comes after. And, you know, you even have those, uh, those scriptures there that, you know, God knew you before you were in the womb. So you were elsewhere before you were here on earth and you're preparing here to go somewhere else. So this is only temporary. We're just experiencing uh, what's here for a temporary period of time. So we're already in the simulation. And this has been drilled into us for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So yeah, the creator or creators of the universe already know that we know. We just don't use the word simulation in religion. Uh, all right, so a uh, couple of questions down here in the chat. Tom McNicholas, wouldn't those games be trying to pass the truth to us? Um, yeah, it's uh, in their own way. So having spent time as a programmer, and you know, my degree is actually in game and simulation programming. So you know, one of the uh, concepts that you learn as you're going through an actual game design is what is it you're trying to uh, get the player to experience? What are you trying to uh, pass on to them? I mean, it could just be pure en enjoyment, entertainment, something like a casual game where, you know, you're just, um, you know, blowing up the bricks or something like that. But when you get into like these you know, bigger uh, simulations, there's, something within there that you're actually learning that usually gets passed on through the storyline. Some of these games have very, very elaborate stories that 
you're working through. Some of them may just be little side missions, but a lot of times there's there are little lessons in there that they are trying to pass on. It just depends on uh, the writers and the game designers and, and what they're trying to uh, what they're trying to show you. Uh, okay, let me scroll back up here a little bit, uh, Nicole. So does that mean when we reincarnate, we're really up late, up leveling our character? I mean, possibly. Uh, and you know, if we if we did learn what we were supposed to learn here this time around, and we come back, then. You know, yeah, we've kind of leveled up when we're taking the next step of our journey. Uh, sometimes I think we regress and we come back here and we have to go through it all again to try to get back to where we were. So, yeah, it's it's kind of that idea of, you know, we're here trying to learn and, you know, what it is we're ultimately learning to do and what we have to go through here, you know, to be, I guess accepted in in that home world uh you know that's that's really up for debate you know where do we have to get to with our lessons here before we don't have to come back you know is there someplace else you know some other higher level or dimension other than earth that we go to once we've learned the lessons here on earth uh it's very uh ah, it, it's very interesting where we could go uh, with all of this train of thought. Uh, and uh, Sarah says, if we're in a simulation, that seems to imply intent. Yeah, there is some intention to this simulation, why we're here. You know, what is it? We don't know, uh, but there is some sort of intention for us to be here and learn what we go through. And then I do believe in re reincarnation. So we come back and we continue to learn before we go on uh, somewhere else. So um, what's also interesting here that ties into all this is an article, I actually posted it here on Facebook, uh, I think it was a few days ago. And this was about the quantum theory of consciousness, and it does play into all this. Uh, these are these two guys have been working on this theory since the 90s, and apparently they've made some you know, more progress, and they've updated it here, which is why the, the article uh, was posted. But this is uh, Stuart Hameroff, uh, who's an American uh, physicist and emeritus in the Department of Anesthesiology and Psychology, um, and Sir Roger Penrose, uh, a mathematical physicist at Oxford University. So these two guys uh, have talked about the human brain being a biological computer. So here we go, the whole idea of a computer simulation, all that stuff again. And that human consciousness is a software program activated by the bioquantum computer inside the brain. Uh, it could possibly indicate that the human soul is real and is contained in the brain's microtubules. So and this is kind of interesting, uh, the quote here from uh, from these guys. So they say, let's say the heart stops beating, the blood stops flowing, the microtubules lose their quantum state. The quantum information within the microtubules is not destroyed. It can't be destroyed and is just distributed and dissipates into the universe at large. So this is the idea that, um, you know, when we, when we die, our consciousness, our soul is released to the universe. And they're actually trying to you know, prove this scientifically. You go on, if the patient is resuscitated, revived, this quantum information can go back into the microtubules and the patient says, I had a near-death experience. If they're not revived and the patient dies, it's possible that this quantum information can exist outside the body, perhaps indefinitely, as a soul. So, again, this is kind of the, the idea of, uh, you know, there is, you know, something beyond this life that our consciousness exists in. It's a little bit of a different take that that they have that they have on it because i don't really think they're going in the whole you know uh you know whole idea of religion of you know going to heaven or home world or like an in-between place or whatever before coming back here but uh this idea that uh they are trying to scientifically prove that there is that the the consciousness the soul does have some sort of energy to it and if you read through the article uh, they do talk about vibration, which is something that we talk a lot <laughs> here on you know, Beyond the Shadows, Edge of the Rabbit Hole, uh, Connected Universe. I've been talking about that quite a bit lately. And so 
that vibration essentially is released into the universe. And it, in the way they put it, it almost seems like it's kind of floating around out there. But, of course, when we start talking about reincarnation and what have you, the simulation, uh, we talk about that getting released back to whence we came. And we, I guess, you know, for lack of a better term, if we're talking like the Matrix, and we jack back in later and experience this all again. So, all right. Uh, there are a couple of other questions here. So let's see. Sarah Yusuf, do you believe that there are multiverses like in the comic books? Well, multiverse is more than just comic books. Uh, you have uh, you know, physicists and cosmologists and uh, all kinds of scientists that uh, believe in the multiverse. Um, I was just, you know, just started reading Parallel Worlds by uh, Michio Kaku. And, um, you know, his... His ideas are, are kind of interesting, especially coming from the scientific background that he does. Uh, and, of course, he proposes that there are multiple universes, that, you know, ours is just one of, you know, almost an infinite number. And at least from what I've read so far on, on his, it, it seems to be a little bit different than the whole, you know, every decision you make spawns off you know a different universe he seems to be more of um you know whatever this cesspool of something that we're in as a universe there are many many others that are being created so it's uh you know even though it has the same ingredients to make a universe and galaxies and, and all of that that there's not necessarily going to be all these infinite duplicates of us there's a you know kind of a duplicate universe basically it has the same ingredients and it cooks up a little bit differently than our current universe so i could probably get more on board with that than say the whole you know every time i make a decision like i'm gonna pick up this mug of coffee and take a sip that that just spawned off a whole other universe um i'm i'm still trying to uh, grapple that one. I mean, is it possible that there's another universe out there that every single decision up until now was absolutely identical and then I took the sip and that made it different? It's it's a lot to get your head around, I suppose. But, um, you know, I, and that doesn't mean that I, that I you know, throw down the idea of uh, multiverses because, you know, there's uh, plenty to indicate that there is certainly more than one universe that, uh, well, you know, the Anita project down in uh, Antarctica, you know, they had some uh, some tests come back, some experiments uh, showing that there is a at least one parallel universe and it's running in reverse from ours. So uh, that's that's going to be kind of interesting to explore here as we continue forward. I believe that there was a universe before ours. Uh, you know, the whole idea of Big Bang, Big Crunch, um, the oscillatory universe, that makes a lot of sense to me that, you know, what was before the Big Bang? Well, our universe, and that it's expanding and then contracting on itself, which is basically the Big Crunch. And once the universe ends, it basically explodes again, and the universe is recreated. So it's always this you know, ongoing cycle. And you see in a lot of our ancient teachings that that cycle is taught. And so that's something that we'll certainly get uh, a lot more into here as uh, we continue to go along in our uh, in our studies. <laughs> um, Rick Gabbert, does that mean we can uh, pick to reincarnate into something else at any time, like a past life, or does it just happen? That's a good question. We We don't really know. You know, a lot of people will say, well, yeah, you, you can pick your parents and things like that. Um, and the, the truth is, is we don't know for certain. A lot of what people have put out there about how uh, reincarnation works and what like the quote unquote home world is like, a, a lot of those come from like, near-death experiences. Uh, people that have 
touch the other side for a brief moment and then have been that have come back and have been resuscitated you know we have ideas and in, in, in concepts from them of what they saw and what they experienced and a lot of them differ you know there there are some people you know will see will see relatives that's fine some people will say they see jesus um some people talk about seeing gardens uh some people talk about seeing you know housing uh and then some people talk about you know parties or what have you but there there are others where they talk about well yeah you know i got to see a lot of loved ones but others were kind of checked out because you know different parts of their soul were split up into these you know again back into multiverses okay that's interesting um when people do past life regression uh sometimes some of these uh some of these sessions will bring out ideas uh and visions from those you know from those moments when you've that you've spent at the kind of quote unquote home world so you know that's where a lot of these different ideas come from and then of course there are uh, you know, the religious teachings that have been passed down for uh, centuries and millennia. There are certainly ideas and concepts in there. So it's kind of all of this, you know, hodgepodge of different ideas that, you know, we don't have one straight answer for that. So can we actually pick a life that we put ourselves into? Maybe. Is it picked for us? Maybe. I mean, because there's a lot of different situations that, you know, kind of leave you scratching your head. Well, who would want to be born into that situation? And some people will say, well, you know, they, you know, there was a lesson that they wanted to learn there. So they asked to be born into that extremely violent or terrible situation. It's like, hmm, it, that maybe, but eh, I know I certainly wouldn't want to. So Sarah Jane, would simulated multiple realities explain the Mandela effect? Um, it could, it could. Uh, the Mandela effect... I've actually experienced that. For those that are unfamiliar, uh, the Mandela effect is basically uh, this phenomenon in which multiple people, totally unconnected uh, from each other, totally disconnected from each other, from you know all parts of the world, remember a specific event or remember something being a certain way, and then. You come to find out, no, it was actually a different way. So where Mandela comes in, into play is that uh, he he passed away, I guess it was almost 10 years ago now, but there were thousands of people across the world that actually remembered him dying in the 80s. And so uh, there were all these people that, that started saying, well, that doesn't make sense. You know, we, you know, we all believe you know, we all remember seeing something or reading something that he had died in the 80s. Why is this just coming out now that he died now? And they they were not connected to each other. They were from all parts of the world. You know, they had different news sources, all of them, but they all remember this from the 1980s. And then, you know, other people started remembering different things. Like a, a lot of it had to do with branding, like Oscar Mayer or, you know, stuff to do with Monopoly and all these different, you know, weird little things like that where they... All these people remembered things quite differently. What happened with me was with uh, a movie called uh, Soul Survivor. And actually, uh, in the movie has uh, William Shatner. What's in, what's uh, interesting about this is that I, along with my mother and several, several people, recall this movie uh, being a movie from the 1950s, black and white, Basically, the the premise is that uh, there was a uh, a crew from World War II whose plane had crashed in the desert in Africa, uh, and their plane had been missing for you know years and years, and finally it was discovered and found. They liked to play baseball in their spare time, but they were dead, and they were actually ghosts, uh, but. All of us who remember it differently was, one, it was a black and white movie from the 1950s. This was a color movie from the early 1970s. Um, we don't remember William Shatner being in it. William Shatner was in this thing. Um, we recalled that uh, they found out along the way that they were actually dead and they were ghosts, where 
in this 1970s versions, they knew that there were ghosts all along. And so I finally, you know, gave it a watch because my, uh, my mother and I were talking about one day. We're like, oh, what was that movie? And so I couldn't remember the name. I'm Googling it. And that's how I discovered, okay, this, this is weird. Um, and so I finally watched the movie. And I, because people would hit me up when I was like hitting message boards and like, well, you're remembering like this Twilight Zone episode or whatever. Like, no, it wasn't Twilight Zone. It was, it was definitely a movie. And when I, when I ended up watching it, you know, for the longest time, I'm like, there are elements of this that are familiar, but I cannot get over the fact that it's in color. I cannot get over the fact that William Shatner is in it. And then there was this one point in the movie that I was like, this is definitely that movie. It's because this one guy, he was, eh, he wasn't all bright. And he had been over by the officer's tents listening to a baseball game uh, on the radio. And he comes back to the other guys of the crew, again, the ghosts. And they're asking him, so uh, how was the game? He was like, oh, it was good. But I don't, I don't understand how, you know, they moved Brooklyn to Los Angeles. Basically the Dodgers moving from uh, Brooklyn to Los Angeles. But the way he put it, it's like he was thinking they moved the entire city to L.A. Um, and I remember that distinctly from when I was a kid being kind of a funny uh, line. And that was in what I was watching. It was like, okay, this was that movie. But again... Very, very different from the way I remembered it. My mother remembered all these other people. Mandela effect. So is that some sort of access to a parallel universe? That, that is an idea that people uh, put forth that you know, you're having some sort of you know, interdimensional uh, uh, interaction with this parallel universe or that... Um, somehow your consciousness has slipped from one universe to another. It's possible. Uh, one idea that I'll postulate, if we are in a simulated universe, which I believe that we are, well, and if you want to say it's a computer, fine, because this actually works for the idea that it's a computer. Well, if the code gets changed, let's say there's an upgrade an upgrade or an update, um, things get changed around the system. So wouldn't then past events get changed in that? Again, uh, you guys know me. I believe that time is all happening concurrently, past, present, future. So if something in the world, some sort of code or whatever with the world gets changed, it's going to alter everything through the timeline. So there might be something in my mind that remembers it being a certain way that when I had first run through the simulation, uh, that I experienced it a certain way, and I have that memory stored there in my head, but the code had changed, and so therefore the event changed. And, you know, I guess working, I guess working in computers, having, having worked in the computer industry for, you know, 30 some odd years, um, you know, I guess I, I might be a little more familiar with it, but I guess imagine you're working, uh, you know, on some sort of application, or maybe you're familiar with game space or whatever, and something in there gets changed, right? And so it, it works a little differently than, uh, the way you're used to, or just take, I mean, we're doing this live on Facebook, right? They just did this whole huge update that a lot of us hate with a passion. Uh, Nicole and I talk about all the time, like I can't stand these updates that, that Facebook did. Uh, it's been driving us nuts because it works slower. You know, they move things around. It's gaudier. But even though that's the way Facebook looks now because they did all of these updates, you remember the way it used to work and you remember the way it used to look. And so those memories are still in your head, even though it completely looks different now. And if you were to go back through your old timeline, you're not going to see, you know, if you go to like 2016 or 2014 or whatever, your timeline is not going to look the way it did, you know, back in those years, it's going to look the way it is now, even though it's going to have like your memory posts and stuff like that. So uh, is the Mandela effect 
part of a parallel universe or is it something in our simulation has been changed or altered? Uh, it's a good question. I didn't mean to stick on that topic too long, but uh, it, it's it's a fascinating topic, and I've done entire episodes of Beyond the Shadows on the Mandela Effect before uh, because this can really start to snowball on us for sure. So, um, Victoria Monday. So, uh, the universe is just an eight-track tape. I mean, I don't know. I mean, they, they could be using eight-track tape. Um, maybe they're using vinyl. You know, it's just kind of spinning. <laughs> All right, so let me scroll through and see if there are any more questions here. Um, one of the things that I also wanted to uh, throw out here, because I do talk about Nick Bostrom a, a little bit in A Walk in the Shadows. So he's, he's a guy that in 2003 uh, came out with a, a paper in Philosophical Quarterly, Are You Living in a Computer Simulation? So a lot of people will refer back to that in some of these different articles that come out now. And... I wasn't in his brain at the time, but it seems, okay, 2003, that was four years after The Matrix came out, hot topic, uh, and, you know, even like the uh, uh, the Matrix DVDs, you know, had that philosophy of The Matrix, and they actually, you know, brought different philosophers and professors and all kinds of people, you know, to talk about, you know, all the different things that are kind of interwoven within The Matrix, and part of that was, of course, being... Uh, you know, a simulation. So in his writings, though, he actually talked about shadow people a little bit differently than we normally think of shadow people. The term is used in a different context here. And his idea of shadow people is that the world around us, um, you know, all the people that we see are, are not you know, complete sentient beings. Uh, Dolores Cannon called them filler people. And so they're, they, they're those people that, uh, I, I guess, you know, all those ridiculous, you know, like Walmart uh, photos are taken of, like, you know, the, the, the crazy dressed people or the, you know, the weird, you know, the weird people at Walmart or, you know, whatever that site is. Um, it's it's kind of like those people are like the filler people, just kind of, you know, you know, aimlessly walking about, but filling the space. And again, this is something that you do see in computer simulations. And, uh, and again, in something like a massively multiplayer online game in which, you know, uh, take a, a, a street scene and you might have five or six players walking down the street. They could be going in different directions or whatever. But the the game space is populated with these you know, kind of computer people walking around and, you know, you could bump into them and they'd say, hey, watch it or something like that. Uh, you know, but it's not an actual player avatar. There's not, there's nothing behind there except computer code, even though you can interact with it a little bit. Um, so that's kind of his idea of uh, some of the people that are in our, our world. And he actually called them shadow people. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> and uh, we, we know where I've been on on the term lately with uh, with the trademark and, and all of that. Uh, so I just I find it interesting that he uses the term in this uh, concept of a uh, of a simulated universe. Um, and Sarah Yusuf, could the Mandela effect just be a brain filtration issue, as the brain cannot remember everything or keep all the data? I mean, I've heard that. Uh, that excuse used for the Mandela effect. The problem is that how do you then have all of these people, again, across the world, no connection to each other in different cultures, and they're getting their news and everything very differently, all remembering things the exact same way. And that's that's where I say it's not just a brain filtration thing because I, I don't believe thousands of, of people could all remember the same inaccuracies so accurately, right? <laughs> it, that just doesn't make uh, much sense to me. But I know scientists will try to throw that out there that it's just the brain filtering. It's like, yeah, but everybody's brain would filter it differently. Uh, why then do all of these people remember it exactly the same? 
So, um, all right. So what else do we have here? So, uh, Nicole, maybe people with no consciousness, empathy, or sense of right or wrong are filler people. Um, you know, could could possibly be. Uh, that makes a, a lot of sense. Uh, those people who, um, yeah, yeah, basically those people with, with zero, and we know them, right? You know, those people that had, seem to have like no emotion whatsoever. Uh, maybe they are, you know, maybe they, the uh, simulation couldn't get the emotion correctly. Uh, it, you know, we, you know, as humans being uh, emotional beings, maybe the, the filler people, the, you know, the simulation couldn't get that part of it right, possibly. Uh, what about walk-ins? So I guess educate me. What are you referring to when you say walk-ins? Because there's Nicole saying, I love the topic of walk-ins. I mean, when I think of a walk-in, I'm thinking um, I, I'm just walking in to get my haircut and didn't make an appointment. So what am I missing there? Uh, and so, and, but prior to that, Nicole saying, so if the universe is simulation, how can we change the simulation to an atmosphere we like better? Can we change our avatars and destinations? Uh, good question. So, I mean, you can change I, to a degree. You can change your avatar, right? Because you can get a haircut. You can, you know, um, I guess you can get plastic surgery. You know, what have you? So, to a degree, sure, you can change your avatar. Uh, as far as your destination, well, see, that's and see, that's an interesting thing. Um, you know, can you change where you go from one life to the other? So, I guess that would almost be like changing your avatar, right? Uh, when we were talking about those past life regressions before, people do actually have past life regression memories of alien worlds. So, you know, can we elect to go elsewhere other than Earth? I believe so. If people are, you know, are remembering actual, you know, actually being an extraterrestrial, uh, which, by the way, uh, in that scenario they would not be an extraterrestrial they would just be you know, themselves on that other planet and we would be the extraterrestrials to them uh and what was the other part of that question um can we change the simulation to an atmosphere we like better uh i think we can you know at least change the atmosphere around us the world atmosphere i think we need more people to try to do that and try to you know uh, kind of cohesively together change uh, you know, the atmosphere of our country, the world, you know, what have you. Uh, but, you know, like your, your home, you can change the atmosphere in your home and you know, make things more you know, positive and better there. Would we be able to, you know, I guess it's kind of one of those, one of those things, you know, if we uh, like take Neo from, from the matrix, you know, once he, I guess was awakened for for lack of a better term he could manipulate the environment again to a degree so like he could fly he could you know do different things with the physical world that most other people in the simulation couldn't um but he was still you know bound within the construct to a degree like he's there was still you know interaction with that world that he had to maintain even though he could you know, bend and break the rules to some degree. There, there were some that he just, he couldn't quite, you know, fully. So, uh, you know, so I I think we can to some degree. To what degree that is, I guess we'll see. Uh, okay. Oh, okay. If uh, for walk-ins, if someone dies but the body is still usable, the spirit of that body can leave, and another spirit can come in, and the new spirit is the walk-in. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, you do hear of that. Uh, I, I'm not sure how that fits into. I, I guess that fits into the consciousness conversation we were having before, not necessarily the simulation, but yeah, if. Um, you know, if your your body dies and your consciousness is released into uh, the atmosphere, uh, into the universe, and you don't go to that home world right off, and there's a body there whose consciousness has left but is not fully dead yet, could you enter into it? 
Uh, and kind of like what they were talking about with the microtubules, like then you would, uh, then you would enter your consciousness into those microtubules. So you would kind of like, you know, jack in. Um, yeah, I mean, I it's something that, you know, sounds like it could certainly be done. Um, I guess, you know, if you're referring back to the Matrix movie, I guess we saw uh, Agent Smith get into the uh, consciousness of uh, of a different body, right? So, uh, so it could be possible. Uh, Nicole thinks she's a walk-in. <laughs> uh, so, Rick, can someone change their fate during a past life to become better? Um, well, you know, that's kind of interesting because uh, when you say fate, Fate, you know, fate is basically like predestination. And if you can make changes, well, then it's not really fate or predestination. You're, you're, you're altering that. So, I mean, unless your fate is to, is to make those alterations and, and to become something else. Uh, so, and, and that's kind of, um, you know, kind of one of the dichotomies of if, if time and this is where I kind of get hung up. If if time is all working concurrently, past, present, future, then where do we have choice in that? It doesn't that mean that our future has already been decided for us. Um, but I don't know how many of you watched Dark, but there is also that concept of how the future could change the past. So, you know, as we are working up and down this timeline, you know, are there things that my future self is doing that's changing what I've done or who I am now or changes the environment of my past that changes who I am now? See, even stuff like that could play into this idea of the Mandela effect. Are things happening in the future that change the past that, you know, some of us are having the memory of the, of the previous version of the past, but it looks differently now. Uh, so, you know, that's another interesting idea to, to play around with here. It's, it's, it's kind of like what I was talking about before with reprogramming, but not necessarily the, uh, the, the creator or the game masters, for lack of a better term of the simulation that are reprogramming, that would almost be ourselves reprogramming from the, uh, kind of avatar or player perspective is that we've done something at another point in time to change the environment that also changes it at some other place along the timeline. So I suppose in a way, Rick, you could change your fate. Uh, Sarah Youssef, could the astral plane be a form of the simulated universe? Okay. So the astral plane is, in this type of uh, construct, it would be kind of like that... Uh, I guess, underlying subroutine or code that you could access. If Again, if we're going from the idea of a computer simulation, even though I don't believe this is a computer simulation as we believe it to be, it's something more uh, organic, I believe. But um, the astral plane to me almost seems like that area between here and the home world. It's like a uh, another process that it's, it's a different... I guess a different layer. So as you venture into this this body, um, you know there are different. I would say that there are different. Um, I don't know what, what's a good analogy for this. I used layers because that's kind of the way I, I view it. That you know, as as you venture down into here, there are, are certain. Uh, layers of the simulation that you know you you basically pass through it's almost it's almost seems like instantaneous but um you know when when we look at uh the way simulations are constructed you need different layers you know kind of compounded on top of each other to create that world you know right now we're we're interacting on the physical plane, but there's like a logic layer and there's an application layer and there's a network layer. And so there's all these different layers that, 
uh, are stacked on top of each other to create this whole thing. We're just interacting with one part of it. So you can almost you know, think of the layers as like different dimensions, uh, which they may be. So the astral plane would be uh, one of those layers in there. Uh, you know, would that allow us more direct access to kind of the quote-unquote homeworld? Uh, maybe. You know, maybe we would have a better idea of it from, uh, from that area. I know people talk about when they astral project, they're able to like physically move their consciousness throughout the universe. Like they're able to go to other planets and, and things like that. Um, you know, which is, which is kind of, uh, interesting. So, but it's not, uh, not a full manifestation of course, into that, uh, that home world, because you know, people always talk about having that silver cord attached. So they're still tethered to their body to, to some degree. So they're still limited as to far, how far that they can go to, uh, there's still a connection there from uh, your your consciousness to your body. So you can only go so far. Uh, I hope that answered the question. So it's I would say it's a it's a level um, of the simulation. Uh, all right. So Tom McNicholas, I think I came in the back door. That's funny. <laughs> Uh, Victoria says she has a different definition of walk-in. Her definition is a soul who doesn't have time to age. They have a purpose, so they walk in to take over to complete a purpose. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll have to I'll have to do some more research on on walk-ins there. Then it sounds like there's some different ideas here. All right. So, um, guys, have had some great questions here, and we've got about 12 minutes left in the show here. Um, so another, um, so, okay, as astral uh, layers, like the programming code, the ones and zeros below the manifest programming. Um, okay, yeah, so like the layers that I was uh, talking about. So the, some of those layers that I was throwing out there was um, from the kind of standard OSI model of, of computing. It's, it's, if you go to school for computers, it's something that you have to like memorize just to take a test. Uh, but basically, it's it's how our it's how our networks are constructed, the different the different layers that uh, are put together in order to actually create uh, a running and operating uh, network, which includes the application uh, part of it, the actual uh, piece that you're interacting with. So, uh, yeah, it's it's how all of our computers are essentially uh, built. So at least the conceptual. Uh, part of it. Um, okay, what else do you guys have? Yeah. All right. Um, so you guys have a lot of great ideas and uh, and questions here. I really do appreciate that because uh, this this topic can get extremely uh, deep and hairy, and uh, you know it's. It's a lot of conceptualization and theories, but I always come back to uh, the fact that you know whether you believe it's it's a computer or something else, this world is essentially a simulation, and it's it's not a new concept. It it seems like a new concept because you know computers are I mean they're really less than a hundred years old, right and uh, you know, when we start, uh, you know, getting into all this deep sci-fi, you know, with, with movies like The Matrix or, or other movies very similar to it, uh, you know, or even books and what have you, that this seems to all be, you know, very recent. It's using technology that's, that's very recent to us as well. But it's really a very, very old concept that they've integrated into these sci-fi stories. Again, when you look at The Matrix... Uh, there's uh, a lot of uh, philosophy that's uh, in, ingrained into it, and there's a lot of you know references to uh, religion and mythology and theology and, and all of that. So, you know, they use those concepts to and, and put them into a modern world. But again, those concepts are all you know, 
you know, thousands and thousands of years old. This is stuff that's always been with us. This was just, uh, this is just a newer telling of the same old story. So, and, uh, uh, my, I don't know how the connection is for you guys, but all of a sudden everything's kind of flashing on my end. So let me know how it's going uh, if, if you guys are experiencing any interruptions because it keeps flashing on me and saying waiting for live video. Uh, I haven't touched anything. <laughs> I've just been talking. So, uh, all right. So I guess with that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. If there are some technical issues, maybe the simulation is trying to shut me down right now and, and keep my mouth shut on the subject. <laughs> but uh, we'll go ahead and wrap this up a few minutes early. Really do appreciate uh, all of the questions that you guys have had this evening. Uh, you guys are telling me, no, it sounds fine. Okay. Well, I believe you, <laughs> but I'll go ahead and wrap it up just in case it's about to bomb out on my end. I would not want that to happen midstream here. So, uh, you know, thank you everybody again for your, for your questions. So, uh, uh, Nicole, Victoria, Rick, Tom, uh, the two Sarah's, uh, everybody else that was here, uh, Carrie was in the house. Appreciate that. Um, I think I saw Connie in her here earlier. Is that true? Okay. So, all right, everybody. You have a great night, and we will see you next week on Beyond the Shadows. Uh, again, uh, check out the uh, ConnectedUniversePortal.com. I've uploaded a lot of great material out there. The uh, monthly Q&A video will be going up. I'm recording it tomorrow, so I should have it posted uh, up there either tomorrow night or at least by Friday morning. So I will be answering your February questions at connecteduniverseportal.com. You guys have a great night. Until next time.